Good morning, Grace Community Church, this Easter morning, and good morning to all of you who are our guests or maybe joining us for the first time this morning. We're so glad that you're with us, and that truly was a rich time of worship with Sarah and the worship team. Thank you so much for that team, and we'll get to have more of that in just a little while. But my name is Jay Messenger. I'm the lead pastor, and it is going to be a tremendous morning. It already has been a tremendous morning together. But now we're going to dive into God's Word on this very special morning. And as I was thinking about our time in God's Word, I was reminded of uh, something that uh, happened recently to me with my family. So like all of you, we are sheltering in place and, of course, getting plenty of quality time together. And one of the ways we've been spending that time, at least recently, has been we took some time to watch some home videos. And that was so much fun for us to roll those and look at the various stages and ages of our kids as they were growing up. And it reminds me really of what we did at times in my family of origin. We also would occasionally watch home movies, home videos. But back then it was the old eight millimeter reel to reel movies. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You go to your museum, you'll be able to see what that actually looks like. But when I was a kid, that's how you watched home videos, home movies, were these old reel-to-reel projectors. Anyway, I have an Easter memory that I think of literally every year that comes out of watching one of those videos. Now, for those of you who know some of my story and my family of origin, I am the youngest in a family of five. I had um, no family, six. I had five sisters and uh, grew up with um, two of them. And they're all older than me, so I'm not going to tell you which sister it was to protect her identity. We'll just say my older sister. So one of my older sisters in one of these old home videos is being taped as she's experiencing her first Easter egg hunt on an Easter Sunday. And so here she is in this cute little Easter dress, and uh, the, the, the camera zooms in on her as she's looking for her very first Easter egg. Understand, she's never seen an Easter egg before. And so she walks up to this Easter egg and she looks down and you can tell that she sees it and she just kind of looks at it for a minute. And then she looks around to see if anyone is watching and she doesn't see the camera. And then she looks at the Easter egg again and then she stomps on it and jumps up and down on it. And, you know, Easter eggs, even though they're hard boiled, they really can be smashed. It just went splat everywhere. And as my mom and dad were later talking to her about that, she told them that the reason she stomped on the egg was because she was afraid. She didn't know what it was, didn't recognize it, was a little uncertain as to really what it was. And so she stomped on it out of fear. We do funny things when we're afraid. In fact, more so, we make crazy decisions and make sometimes really bad choices when we're afraid. Fear shapes and affects our reality. It impacts our present and our future. And it's something that at some point we all have to go toe-to-toe with. In fact, a number of us have to deal with fear on an ongoing basis. And in all fairness, we are living in a time of great fear and great uncertainty. If you watched my sermon preview upload from earlier this week, I talked about this recent USA Today article that I had read that was all about fear and all about uncertainty and was offering coaching and advice on how to face fear and how to deal with all 
the uncertainty that we're all up against right now. And something that I've personally learned as I've prepared for our time in God's word this Easter morning is in Matthew 28, in the gospel of Matthew's account of Easter, of that amazing resurrection Sunday some 2,000 years ago, Matthew brings to life that everyone in that story is afraid. All of them. As we're going to see in our time today, every single one of the characters who are described in that story are afraid. There's tremendous uncertainty. Many of them don't know what to do or how to respond, and all of them are afraid. So I thought as we dove into God's word this morning, as we once again revisited the historical reality of the resurrection that happened some 2,000 years ago, that we would truly try to enter the story in every way that we could. And so this morning, we are filming this deliberately in a cemetery because the Easter story happens in a cemetery. We're talking about the reality of an empty tomb where a place of death was now becoming a place of life. And so with that in mind, you've heard me say that the the resurrection is a historical reality. I know just based on the numbers of you who are watching or listening to this that not all of you believe that. But I would like to propose to you this morning that for the sake of our time together, as we look at the resurrection story, that you assume with me, even if you don't necessarily believe it, that the resurrection really did happen. And so if that's true, what does this story tell us? What does the resurrection truly mean? If this isn't a fairy tale, if it isn't a fable, if it isn't some story that some, someone made up, but truly is historical reality, then what does it mean for you and me? That's where we're going to go this morning. So as I read Matthew's account of the resurrection of the very first Easter morning, I want to encourage you to not only think about what it means for you and me, but I want you to watch for how the people in the story respond to what happens. Because we will circle back around at the end of our time to look at each of those groups of people. So, where we are this morning is in Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to read this for us. So, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. 
there they will see me. So while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you were to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So let's begin to work our way back through this passage and just look at some of the dynamics of what's going on here. So it says that Mary and Mary, I like to call them married squared because there were two of them, but Mary and Mary are on their way to the tomb. And Matthew says they were there to to look at it. But in the other gospels, it gives us a little more detail as to why they were going to the tomb. They weren't going just to look at it. They were going to finish preparing Jesus's body for final burial. Now, did they know that there was a Roman guard that had been stationed outside the tomb? Did they know that the tomb had been sealed by the governor's authority? I'm not sure. But then there's also the question of how are they going to move that stone? It probably took several people to move that stone into place because it was intended to never be moved again as it sealed that tomb. So how in the world were they going to move the stone? How would they have dealt with the Roman guards? These women had incredible courage, incredibly courageous for them to be going to Jesus's tomb with all these unknowns. And then it says a violent earthquake happens. You ever been in an earthquake? I've been in one in particular that I can remember. In fact, there were a number of you who were there with me. This happened in 1993. On March 25th at 5.34 a.m., because I will never forget that day, a 5.6 earthquake shook Portland. Jamie and I were newlyweds. We'd been married just a couple years. We're in a deep sleep, and all of a sudden, we get woken up by this earthquake and everything was shaking. We lived in this two-story townhouse, so it really shook in our bedroom upstairs. I'm in a deep sleep and I've told you before that when I go to bed and I go to sleep, I figure I've got a job to do. I fall asleep quickly and I sleep through everything, but not this. I woke up, I went, ah, you know, and I'm reaching for my baseball bat because I think someone's trying to break into our house. And then I realized, no, the whole house is shaking. So I run downstairs and just as it stops shaking, I get to the bottom of the stairs and the chandelier is now moving back and forth. And I'm stunned and I'm scared. And so I flip on the TV and you have to understand and appreciate that this was in a time and a season where there was no 24-hour news cycle like there is now. If you wanted news, you read the newspaper or you waited till the evening news that night. So I flip on the TV and I can't remember what news channel it was, but here's this guy who they literally are filming him scrambling to get on his microphone and to sit in front of the camera. I think he was the janitor. He clearly had never delivered a news report before. Because like all of us, he was scared and he was trying to figure out what to say. And all he could say was, well, there's been an earthquake because no one had really information at that point. But the, but the bottom line was everybody was scared because in an earthquake, 
you are completely out of control. Now, as we enter this story, can you imagine what it must have been like for the angel to appear in the midst of a violent earthquake? Now, what's so amusing to me is the same word that describes the earthquake is then used to describe the guards in verse 4. It says the guards shook and became like dead men. So the ground shakes and the guards are shaking from fear. And so like probably all of us, they run away. And then there's this angel who we're told as we read this story looks like lightning and is as white as snow. And Interestingly, what is the first thing he says to Mary and Mary? Do not be afraid. And then he goes on to tell them he has risen, just like he said he would. And the manner, the way in which this angel communicates this, I think has a tone to it. Like, of course he's risen. Of of course this happened. Of course he's not here. But to make the point, he says, go, look, see, and now go tell the disciples what has happened. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself says, I will rise again, I will rise again, I will rise again. 34 times in the New Testament, it says the same thing. And so he does exactly what he said he was going to do. And so the women are on their way to tell the disciples And it tells us in the next verse that they run into someone. And who is it? It's Jesus himself. And it says that he greeted them. He literally said, greetings. And again, as we enter the story here, I wonder, what was his tone like? How did he say greetings? I mean, did he say greetings the way I do when I come home from work to my family? Greetings, my family. You know, of course, I don't do that. Hopefully you don't do that. But was this huge, booming, powerful greetings? Or was it just a normal greeting in a normal voice? And the way this is written, it suggests that it was the way Jesus always greeted them. We don't know what his tone was. We don't know exactly how that came across, but this is what we do know. They immediately recognized him. They knew it was the risen, resurrected Lord. And how do they respond? This next verse tells us. They they worship him. They fall to his feet. They grab onto him. They cling to him and they worship him. And again, I begin to think about, so what does that mean? What did it look like for them to worship him? Were they laughing out of joy? Were they crying out of joy? Were they singing out of joy? Maybe they were speechless. Maybe it was all of the above. We don't know, but this is what we do know. They worship him. They express their love and care and concern and joy for him. And once again, the next verse tells us what Jesus says. And what did he say? What were the first words that came out of his mouth? Do not be afraid. Just like the angel. First words the angel said to them. First words Jesus says to them. Do not be afraid. So let's pull back from this a little bit. 
And with what we know to this point, with what this is teaching us, how do Mary and Mary respond to Jesus' resurrection? What can it mean for you and me? Well, the first thing we see is this incredible reality of faith in the face of fear. Once again, what is the first thing the angel says? The first thing Jesus says, do not fear. Why would they say that? Because they were afraid. Are you afraid? Is there something you're afraid of this morning? Aren't all of us in some way, shape, or form a little afraid right now? Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you have had hours cut back. Some of you have had someone who you love test positive for this virus or they're even hospitalized. Or you're afraid, legitimately so, of contracting this virus yourself. And aren't all of us doing battle right now with the fear that comes from uncertainty? Uncertainty is fuel for fear. And in this day and age of the 24-hour news cycle and complete total access to our media at any point and at any time, we're inundated with worst-case scenarios and, yes, legitimate things to be afraid of. Aren't all of us in some way doing battle with fear? Not unlike Mary and Mary and everybody else in this story. Different reasons, but they were all afraid too. And yet, as we looked at in prior weeks, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith doesn't mean you're not even experiencing fear. Faith is what you do in the face of fear. And despite their fear, despite their uncertainty, Mary and Mary choose faith. They choose to believe. But they also model and teach us something else. Another reality from the resurrection. As I look at these verses here, we see this incredible joy in the midst of sorrow. I hope you were able to join us for our Good Friday service earlier this weekend because Matt and Sarah did an amazing job, a beautiful job of helping us understand just some of the dynamics of Jesus's crucifixion and death. Not something we like to think about, but the reality is Crucifixion has to be one of the most horrific ways to die. In fact, it was invented and really perfected by the Romans for the worst of criminals, for the most vilest of people. And you factor in the reality of Jesus's innocence, his righteousness. He did absolutely nothing to deserve crucifixion. And yet we're told that Mary and Mary and others saw him get crucified. Not only was it an incredibly excruciating way to die, it was a profoundly shameful way to die because you were stripped naked, usually beaten, on display for everyone to see, and you died this slow, incredibly agonizing death. In fact, the very word excruciation was created, was coined to describe crucifixion. That's where the word comes from. It was horrific, and Mary and Mary saw it. 
Now again, as we enter this story, go there with me for a second. How traumatizing must that have been for them? To see Jesus who they love? Crucified? Tortured? And who dies this horrible death? So much sorrow, so much heartache, and so much uncertainty in the midst of all this. And yet, what do we see? We see this profound joy. And yes, I get, I understand that now Jesus was resurrected. He had come back to life. But we can't discount and dismiss the incredible sorrow and trauma that they had already seen and observed. And yet, they, they choose this incredible joy in the midst of, of sorrow. And my friends, that is such a powerful reality for you and me to hang on to, especially now. You can find joy in the midst of sorrow. Now, real quickly here in the Bible, joy and happiness, the words that are used for that are virtually synonymous. But I personally believe that there is an aspect of joy that isn't necessarily true of, of happiness, not with how I understand them. To me, happiness is often situational, it's circumstantial, but you can find joy in the hardest and the most difficult of circumstances and situations. You know, again, a number of you know my family and, and what we've been through this last year. And we've gone through a time of incredible crisis. You know, first my dad has this arterial bypass in his leg and then he goes into rehab and he barely gets out of rehab. And then my wife's mom goes on hospice and we're there, especially my wife through her dying process and just as she passes away, my dad falls and breaks his hip. He goes back into rehab. He fails to heal. And it's the beginning of the end for him. He comes home now for hospice. And as he is in the process of dying, my mom breaks her hip in trying to help him. So she's hospitalized. And then she gets home from the hospital and my dad passes away. And in the midst of all that, we have an uncle unexpectedly die. I mean, it was thing after thing after thing. It was sorrow and heartache. And we're still grieving that. And we probably always will. Because grief isn't something you, you get over. It's something you get through. But all that to say, I can tell you unequivocally that in the midst of all that difficulty, in the midst of really that trauma for us, we found joy. You see, thankfulness is the fuel for joy. If uncertainty is a fuel for faith, thankfulness is a fuel for joy. Because you see, in the midst of all that, we very deliberately were looking for what we could be thankful for. How is the Lord working in this situation? And we wrote some of those things down. And one of those things we wrote down was the incredible blessing, the incredible joy of the doctors releasing my mom to do her rehab at home rather than staying in the hospital so she could be with my dad in his dying days. And in the midst of our grief and our heartache, there was a joy and a thankfulness that I felt that my mom could be there when my dad passed away. You see, you can find joy in the very depths of sorrow and heartache. And that's what Mary and Mary model for us here. That's what the resurrection means for them and really what it can mean for you and me. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He has come back to life. And therefore we can have joy in the most difficult 
of circumstances. But Mary and Mary also show us something else. This worship, despite their uncertainty. You know, one of the things I was struck by in this story is there's still a lot of unanswered questions for them. There's still fear. They're still trying to figure things out. They don't have everything settled. I mean, Jesus is literally standing, resurrected, come back to life right there in front of them. And they're still trying to make sense out of it. They're still trying to figure that out. And that is so comforting and reassuring to me. You don't have to absolutely understand everything that's involved with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to trust him, in order to believe in him. Because you see, what's being emphasized in this story and in this passage we've read is God's faithfulness. The message of the Bible is of a God who sees us in our brokenness, sees this broken world, and rather than leaving things the way they are as broken, he chooses to do something about it, owing us nothing. He puts into into motion this divine rescue plan that culminates in his son, Jesus Christ, coming living life and showing us what the spirit-filled right relationship with life with God looks like, and then dying on a cross, taking our brokenness and sin on himself, and then rising again to new life and offering life to us. Life for the future, but life now. It is the greatest story, the greatest message in the world, and it can be reality for you. And I can unequivocally tell you it's reality for me. Do I have every question about Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection answered? No, I don't. But I know enough to be able to trust him and commit myself to him. Because here's the deal. God always keeps his word. God always does what he says he will do. He keeps his promises. And because of that, Mary and Mary can celebrate, can rejoice, can have joy, can worship Jesus because Jesus did exactly what he said over and over he would do. God the Father did over and over throughout the Bible over thousands of years of human history what he always said he was going to do. And that was to send his son and then for his son to rise again to give life to us. So we've seen how Mary and Mary help us understand what the resurrection of Jesus Christ can mean for you and me. It can mean faith in the face of fear. It can mean joy in the midst of sorrow. It can even mean worship despite uncertainty. But now let's turn our attention to the responses of the others who are mentioned in this story. Let's start with the guards. These were Roman soldiers. They were the best trained, most disciplined soldiers in the entire world. So do you really think that anyone's going to believe a story that they were asleep while on duty? Because the penalty for that was the death penalty. They would lose their lives if they had ever been caught sleeping while on duty. And then if they truly were sleeping, how did they know that the disciples stole the body? He began to think about this story, and there are so many holes in it because it's a fabrication. It's a lie. So what do the guards at the end of the day do? They deny what they have seen, and then they lie about it. It is a complete dismissal of the reality that took place right in front of them. So let's turn our attention to the religious leaders. 
how do they respond to the resurrection? They absolutely disregard it and refuse to believe it. And it's really important for us to understand the distinction, the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is the absence of something. I need more information. I need more data. I need more time. I'm not sure if I truly believe. Or maybe initially you're even saying, I I don't believe. But there's an openness to more information and even to persuasion. But with unbelief, it's not the absence of something. It is the presence of something. Unbelief is saying by your actions, by what you do, by what you think, by what you say, I refuse to believe. It's someone who not only denies reality, but refuses to even consider truth. And so these religious leaders, they absolutely reject what has happened and what has been told to them by the guards of what really happened. And so God seemingly has unlimited patience for those who are struggling to believe. Because the reality is, Scripture clearly teaches that all of us need God's help to believe. All of us basically start out in the same place. I certainly was there in the first part of my life. I didn't believe because I doubted. But there was an openness there. God has seeming unlimited patience for someone who's genuinely doubting and wrestling with belief. But God has very limited patience for those who will say, I do not believe, I refuse to believe. God has limited patience for unbelief. And that's exactly what these religious leaders do in their response. And then it brings us to the disciples. By the way, where are the other disciples? We're only told about Mary and Mary. Where are the 11 disciples? Or maybe others have called them the 11 deserters because they flee from the crucifixion. They're not there. And then they're hiding in the upper room, other parts of the Bible tell us, because they're afraid. And in fairness to them, legitimately so. But they're uncertain, they're afraid, and they're doubting. Ever heard of Doubting Thomas? He's often cited as the golden example among the disciples of doubt, but really they were all doubting in a sense. And doubt is something that we all have to do business with when it comes to embracing and believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then it brings us to Mary and Mary. What do they model to us? They model to us faith, a willingness to see and then to actually believe and to trust despite uncertainty, despite fear, which now brings us to you and me. Who are you most like in this story right now? Maybe you're like the guards. You find yourself denying that there's really any business to do with this whole idea of a resurrection. But what you need to understand is that virtually no one doubts that there was an empty tomb. What really has to be answered is why that tomb was empty. Or maybe you're like the religious leaders. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're not really open to believing. You've decided you're not going to believe that. 
And however you frame this, whatever place you've put it in your life, you've decided, yeah, you're not gonna do any more business with that anymore. You're just gonna choose not to believe it. Or maybe you're like the disciples. Maybe you truly are wrestling with questions that you have. You're, you're doubting and you're struggling and wrestling with that. Or maybe you're like Mary and Mary, which I'm sure that a number of you are, where you do believe in the resurrection. And by doing so, you believe in, in Jesus Christ, who he said he was, what he said he was going to do, and the fact that he has been raised from the dead. Doesn't mean you don't have uncertainties. Doesn't even mean you don't have questions or your own doubts, but it does mean you're willing to believe. And if you are, if you are willing to believe in the reality of the resurrection, of who Jesus Christ is, of what he's done, what he's going to do, then your life will be changed by entering into that life-changing relationship with him. And what we'd like to show you now is a, a true life story of someone who despite their doubts, despite the struggles and even the brokenness and heartache in their life, they have chosen to believe. And this is, a, this is an authentic story, it's a real story, and I think it's a story that's worth listening to and watching together. So this is Belinda's story. Two and a half years ago, I was living in Alaska had accumulated a lot of a lot of hurts and and pains from things that I had done and from things that had been done to me and for quite some time I had been uh, using alcohol to try and deaden that pain after years and years of that life wasn't working for me anymore so I decided to come to Oregon. I started attending Celebrate Recovery at Grace. At first, I really doubted that there could be healing for me. I was a believer, and I knew that if I was gonna find healing, that it was through Christ alone. God was the only one that could truly satisfy that deep longing in me to be known and to be fully loved. So as I started looking at myself and owning the part of the pain that I had caused to myself and forgiving people for pains that they had caused to me that I had been trying to cover up for so long. It was like a gradual release of all of that pain. God had me. He provided so many things for me. He provided a safe place for me to, to heal. He provided a group of friends through CR and then further into Grace. Through this whole recovery process, He had given me exactly what I needed all along the way. He is still providing me with what I need and He's restored so much in my life. It's been a miracle but not a miracle like Jesus puts clay on your eyes and then washes it off and you can see. It's the kind of miracle where only by walking through the pain and by experiencing those pains that I had tried to avoid for so long, through experiencing them, I could release them. I could forgive where wrong had been done to me and I could ask for forgiveness to the people that I had hurt. Day by day, 
things continue to improve. As you trust him, it gets a little bit better each day. There's a peace that I've never felt before in my relationship with Christ. And he's been so faithful to um, redeem the things that I thought were lost. Jesus is our living hope. He gives us life now, and He gives us life in the future, and He is our hope. And I hope you believe that. In fact, Jesus asked this very question of someone, and this is what He said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So, do you? Because the bottom line is, some 2,000 years ago, that tomb was empty. And you have to settle for yourself why that tomb was empty. Jesus is our living hope. And we are so glad that you've chosen to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday with us this morning. And we want to encourage you that if you have made that decision to believe in Him, to follow Him, then we would love to celebrate that with you and to help you begin to grow in this new relationship that you've entered into. And so just as the service ends here, if you will go to our website, gracecc.net, and at the bottom of our homepage in the footer, there is a prayer link. And if you click on that prayer link, it will take you to our Zoom prayer room where we have folks who are waiting for the opportunity to pray with you and to celebrate that decision that you've made. And for all of us, we do need prayer with whatever's going on in our lives. So however we can pray for you, we want to do that. We encourage you to go to the Zoom prayer room as well because, my friends, He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. And may you experience that now as you choose to go and live for Him. Happy Easter.